When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Mike Howard, and joining me from the other side of the world, purely by luck and osmosis of stumbling into a comment in Dr. Hamish Ford's Facebook, um, is professor of visual and sound media at Seton Hall University, Mr. Christopher Sharrett. He wrote these words, which I think I would have had to have read maybe 10 years ago as he read them. He wrote, Michael Mann has emerged as the quintessential cinematic poet of the postmodern urban world. He is a correspondence uh, correspondence editor or editor via correspondence rather for Film International. He writes for Cineast. He is the co-editor of the first anthology of horror with Barry Keith Grant, Planks of Reason, all of which will be linked up in the One Heat Minute page on this post. Professor Christopher Sharrett, welcome to One Heat Minute. Thanks very much. So, Michael Mann, the quintessential cinematic poet of the postmodern urban world. You've been writing about him for some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's always fascinating. Uh, he stumbled just a couple of times, I think, like the James Fenimore Cooper project was not really for him, I think, because it was about early America in the in the forest, and he's an <laughs> urban poet, you know? Yes. Uh, but that is, no, it, that film, too, has some interesting aspects to it, but... Uh, uh, his films are very sad operas. Yes. You know, uh, uh, his, his scores are important. And he's also a meticulous graphic artist. You know, uh, the design of all of his films is just so fascinating. Uh, he actually designed L.A. You know, it's his model. It's his... <laughs> constructed city you yes. know the way he handles light uh uh and shows the la downtown which is i don't know if, if you've ever actually seen it but it's this endless sprawl yes uh the person person who uh, you know first captured it so well was antonioni yes in Zabris point with that high flyover uh and you see just it goes on forever uh, yeah, Michael Mann takes us into the belly of the of the beast, kind of. Uh, and, and the fascinating thing is that it's ugly, it's deadly, and it certainly is, I think. 
but it's also so alluring. You know, it, it's an emblem of the postmodern you know, world. It's like a box of cereal, you know, <laughs> yeah. which looks so wonderful on the outside, like your eyes pop, but inside it's poison, right? Yes. Uh, but uh, it's just—I mean—he is so erudite on so many levels. Like he can talk about the firepower of a certain kind of machine gun, you know, yes. and all the hoodlums he's actually known in Chicago. But also talk about David Hockney, you know, or yeah. or Shakespeare, you know, or, or on and on and on. I mean, he's just a wonderfully polished guy, and. Uh, uh, there's always something in his films, even the weakest, I think, and I can't think of uh, many weak ones, actually, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's one of the great filmmakers of our time, and I think he's he's seen by so many as just a very good, you know, genre, uh, you know, uh, director. Something happened here on the, I got a beep. No, that was anyway. Uh, uh, these machines are always doing something to you. Uh, but um, he, I think he's seen as a good, you know, uh, crime film director. You know, uh, but he's much more than that. Definitely, you know, he, definitely. I think it's a, well, we're in a weird transition with Michael Mann because I, I think, you know, I loved how you said Antonioni. I think about, you know, about ten years ago. People are like, oh yeah, he's a genre guy. He does crime films. He he sort of functions. He's got the same thematic preoccupations, etc. And they sort of were quite dismissive of him. He he stayed in the lane. He was in his box. But what's been really cool, and it's almost as part of discovering in this show, is he's kind of growing in stature because as people sort of see just the barrage of new content on every possible platform that we're seeing. You know, and these films are part of it. They're lucky enough to just be in a suite of movies that are on these platforms. They get kind of perpetually rediscovered, and they're like, "Wait, these are really amazing!" Like every every film, pound for pound, is extremely visually interesting. The characters, um, uh, you know, no, no no shot seemingly is wasted. They're quite dense. There's lots of rich characterization, even if it's only fleeting. You know, the the, the focus of actors isn't about just saying crummy dialogue where the camera's not doing anything that's interesting. It's about conveying things through the lens and eyes and, you know, pairing the narrative back. And, and I think that it's slowly growing in conception, but I, I think everything you said is to that point. It's, um, he, he, do, he's, he loves his new city, his newfound home that's not Chicago, which is L.A., um, but he is fully aware of, uh, he's, yeah, it's L.A. in construction, I think is the perfect way to describe it. And look, we are at, folks, the 88th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, Heat. And uh, Christopher and I had just got this paused and poised, ready to strike, this final minute, the last minute before the infamous mm -hmm. uh, Kate Manolini's conversation. So really quickly, Christopher and I will quickly watch it, and then we'll come back and keep talking Michael Mann and keep unpacking this specific minute as we're streaming down you know, this, uh, this, this, the veins of LA, this highway um, before this collision. A really great little mm -hmm. minute. Hope you enjoy it. Christopher and I are going to watch it now. Am I 100 uh, yards or what? Am I close or far or what? 300 yards, center lane. 
Yeah. There we go. There we go. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I love the uh, uh, score there at that point, or the entire score, really. But that's, I think that's the, uh, what do you call it, Cronus Quartet? Yes. Uh, on, the, on the soundtrack. Uh, the composition is what's the name of it? I can't think. Of I will go and find it as we're talking. But uh, yeah, there's a, yeah. a full list of all the sound uh, sound credits are just on IMDb. So I'll bring it up for us so we can get the specific title. Uh, yeah, it is. Where are you, Cronus Quartet? It is a pretty big score. Yeah. Yeah. New World Beat. Um, it's either that or else it's it's Golden Falls. Uh, yeah, I think I think this might be Golden Thor this moment. Actually, uh-huh. um, I'm trying to find Cronus. No, it's Gold. Yeah, this is Golden Thor. This is Golden yeah. Thor. I'm trying to find the composition yeah. name. But yeah, this part's Golden Thor, wailing away. Yeah. Probably in a Cronus yeah. Quartet styling, but yeah, wailing away there yeah. on the flange it, guitar. It's it's so dynamic, but it's it's so it's so mournful too. I yes. think. I mean, there's this element of sadness as there is in the whole film. I mean, the entire film is about loss and tragedy. You know, and everything falls apart basically. Uh, although it ends in this in this gay uh, pieta. You know, at the very end of the film, of course, with the with the dead uh, Neil and the sympathetic uh, Hannah, uh, but that that uh, sequence uh, is just wonderful. It's it's the penetration of the city, as I said. You know, it's not the kind of flyover notion of L.A. It's uh, not that that high angle shot of the city but it's actually going inside the veins yes. of that ugly space that's overbuilt and with with those octopus like overpasses you know and you have to think how could anyone live in this you know uh but then yeah he's after his his nemesis which uh now makes you think um uh, uh, well, of course, is he really the nemesis? Uh, there is this whole <laughs> idea that he is like the double, the double ganger, you know. Uh, and there is the, of course, the idea that it's the first time since The Godfather Two that they were in the same film, uh, you know, together, uh, De Niro and and uh, Al Pacino, of course. Uh, but uh, anyway, in the actual clip. Uh, the tension of the shot counter shot, you know, of uh, Hannah on the on the uh, uh, walkie-talkie, and and the image of uh, De Niro, you know, uh, Macaulay, uh, and of course the two of them are so are so um, tense because of, of the implications of this face-off. But yet they're they're so professional, right? <laughs> yes, and they're so self-possessed uh, to a point where one could say they're psychopaths. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, no, it, it does it does sort of lean into that territory. But I love 
we were just talking about the veins, the tendrils of this massive octopus of LA. And I love it. We've, we've seen it a lot from the distance and we've seen the quiet. I do really like in this scene, just the sheer number of cars really, uh, really conveys like how cluttered a city it is and how much activity there's going on. Because I don't know about, you know, I'm from Australia. I think the widest road we have in Australia is maybe four lanes long. What always struck me just like being a kid from Oz when I was watching this is like, this lane is like endless. I don't know how many lanes this road has and they're all going the same direction. So it just seems like madness that, wait, there's eight lanes and they're all going in one direction, which means that somewhere very close by is another eight lanes the other way. So that's 16 lanes of cars. How much, how many people that must be there to just carry this many bodies? And so this, you know, weaving, penetrating scene of the cars coming to each other. And you said something before, Chris, which I really, really liked, which is about the, you know, we've already got the tension. There's this beautiful echoing match cut shot where they're both on the same side of frame and you see them both and you're like, oh my God, this is it. They're going to finally have a showdown but he's not man always has that little taste of deadly like he's not afraid to show you the gun first you know really ratchet up that tension first have neil put his gun there under his uh, uh under his leg in the car and just be like this could just be a very this could be a very brief showdown or this could be um something pretty yeah. intense and i just love yeah. just at this second i you just was reminded as you were talking about the echoes of that tragic ending, if you're at the 27th second of the minute, I love the the very subtle foreshadowing in this movie. Neil's car right now, which is in sort of the, uh, you know, right at the edge of the middle third of the frame, is underneath the sign that says LA Airport. And his yeah. car for the first yeah. time. So right now in the uh, in the 88th minute and 27 seconds, uh, we are yeah. seeing a little a little tip of the hat to some great foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> great foreshadowing yeah. at the yeah. end. Um, so yeah. subtle takes about a, yeah. a, a, a beat of about one second, but it was one thing that really leaped out of me and preparing for this conversation. Yeah. Well, the, the whole thing with the, with the traffic, uh, he does capture as well as he captures shootouts and everything else, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because if you live on the East coast or the West coast, it's the same thing. Uh, Traffic over here in the in the states is unbearable. Yeah, uh, but you learn how to operate within it, and he captures that so well that uh, uh, you know Hannah, especially uh, since he is this professional, you know he he's he's inside the school of I I think Howard Hawks, you yeah. know uh, where <laughs> yeah. everybody has to be good, you know, good at their, at their, at their work. Uh, but he can, he can drive in that horrible mess. And indeed Michael Mann shows, uh, uh this congestion, which isn't as bad as it gets. Because <laughs> yeah. often, as I did last night, I was stuck for an hour in this pileup, you know, so accidents and all kinds of devastation are common to the American highway. But, um, for him, it's it's a kind of fluid nightmare. You know, it it keeps moving, keeps on operating. It you know functions as does the whole city. But but it's it's like a functioning body that is finally cancerous. You know, yes. it's, it's dying slowly. And that final piece of music, as as Macaulay dies by Moby, uh, what is it called? God, God moving, moving over the face of waters. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like death to everyone, you know, but it's also a kind of Christian death with that with that whole pieta arrangement kind of. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, his sense of the highways and the buildings, because that scene actually starts with the helicopter. Yes. You know, flying over. Yeah, it's... Uh, it- it, it start. It's 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 a such a great. This this is. I think we're up to about four or five minutes of a real great swelling sort of piece of momentum, which is that Vincent finally denies being a living a domestic life in any way. You know, he has this little mini uh, 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 tryst with Justine in their house where she's going out, and he goes down there and attempts to wash dishes in vain, and then he slams yeah. the tap down and That's just goes out. The hell with it. Exactly, exactly right. To to walk out the door, and he just gets in the helicopter, and it's those unbelievable. Like in thirty five mil film, just feels unbelievable. Like in digital, I think we take it for granted the the vistas and the just as you said, this boundless city at night. Um, and I actually saw a film by an Australian filmmaker, Lee Winnell. He made a little um, sort of pulpy sci fi film called Upgrade very recently, which I think has uh, recently been out in the theaters in the states. And he shoots Melbourne, which, he, you know, it's, it's sort of an everywhere city, this futuristic city that he's set, setting his film in. Um, but he shoots Melbourne like Michael Mann at night. Like he just, it's, it's so, you know, but again, he's got the blessing of drones and digital photography that didn't exist in 1995. Um, but yeah, you've got the great scene with the helicopters. And then, he, and then he's like, meet me at the on-ramp. I need to get into this. I can't just yeah. look at this bird's eye view. I need to get into this city. I need to get myself behind the yeah. wheel. Yeah, yeah. It's so spectacular because, yeah, he takes off out of the domestic scene very easily, kind of. You yes. know, says, okay, hell with, hell with you, bitch, or whatever. <laughs> and then we have th- this image uh, of uh, L.A., the downtown L.A., with all of its high-rise postmodern uh, buildings uh, made by uh, what's his name, John Portman. You know th- th- these uh, soulless buildings. Uh, but you think, well, how is he going to land in this mess? You know. <laughs> yes. But there's this wonderful transition where where he's there, and we've actually gone from this this uh, uh, what's the word, aviary or, or, or flying, you know, yeah. uh, motion to to a um, horizontal. Uh, flight, you know. Yes. And, and, but it's also, you know, fluid, and there is a sense that that it's just Hannah achieving it all, that he's controlling the flight and the forward movement. You yes. Know, that it's all his his uh, skill, and uh, there's also that other moment when uh, it's at the uh, end, really, at the hospital. Yes. When. Uh, she frees him and says, "You know, go ahead." And he practically floats down down that staircase. Yes. You know? um, uh, it, it's just, I mean, um, Robin Wood, uh, my old friend and and uh, uh, colleague, I guess I could say, but I he's much more accomplished as a film critic. Um, uh, talked about the gay subtext. Inside Howard Hawks, you know yes. his films, you know, Real Bravo and El Dorado and, yes. and the thing where it's all about men. 
you know, women are irrelevant, really. Yes. Uh, and that's true in, in, in Michael Mann's world, I think, uh, almost, uh, I'd say to a fault, you know, yes. uh, because uh, it's all about the male gang. And, and the female is, is there, but she's so peripheral. So yeah. I mean, it's a topic for a whole set of gender studies, you know, on, yes. on this issue. I think um, I think I could say because by the time people listen to this, they would have heard the episode with Dr. Hamish Ford, um, uh, who who said this film is literally screaming out for a great queer reading um, oh, with, these, yeah. with, with these two characters. And I feel like you're, you're right. It's um, it's and I think it's just about male relationships, and I it's like being satiated by relationships. I think other filmmakers. Um, other male filmmakers are better at integrating women into the makeup of what they do. But I think man in a very sort of classical and romantic archetypal sense uses the woman as the romantic a lot more than he would anything else. All those other things, you know, philosophical satisfaction and connection and, you know, platonic love. It's, 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 you know, he is quite a romantic. I'm glad you were talking about like melodrama. He's got a bit of melodrama. It's a bit of a tragedy. So they've, he sort of adheres to very classic things, but you know, there's this coffee scene is, you know, that we're, we're, we're uh, immediately foreshadowing with this minute is as open and confessional uh, and, Mm -hmm. and, and um, as, as sort of you know, you're speaking to so so like you're watching two people, two confidants secretly spill out exactly what they're feeling, way more than in any interaction that he has with Justine. Yeah. And and even yeah. I think Michael Mann takes great pleasure in some of the moments of the film. I think uh, when he's like, Justine immediately tells Vincent that she wishes he'd share more, and he's like, I'm not going to share with you. And then in the corresponding scene, he has the wonderful Kim Staunton who plays Lillian and Don Breeden played by Dennis Haysbert and. Dennis Haysbert's just pouring his heart out to his wife. You know, it's something Vincent can't do, but something that Dennis Haysbert's character can do. So man's just sort of like, it's not impossible for men to do this, but for Vincent, (laughs) it's impossible. It's, yeah, yeah. There are some moments of intimacy for sure uh, with with Hannah and and his wife, uh, Justine. Uh, But it's saturated with the things which make up postmodern life, like pills like she's always taking valium yes. or something. yeah and uh, cable television his tv is his only real treasure like he doesn't <laughs> care if you know if she's you know cheating on him he he even says that it's fine to stay here frank what's his name frank i think it is ralph or, poor ralph ralph ralph, ralph, ralph. <laughs> uh inside of her dead tech postmodernish piece of shit house or you know what but it's television but uh, you know it's all of the prosaic and ugly things which are part of the everyday for us you know like uh, it's impossible to finally have a a heterosexual uh, couple who is stable and uh, friendly to each other and so forth but yet it's the guys by and large who have the real emotional bonds, you know, this this group, especially, I think, um, Macaulay's uh, tie to uh, uh, 
oh, what's his name? Val uh, Kilmer uh, and Chris Chihalis. Val Chris, Kilmer, right, yeah. right. Uh, what's the character's name? Chris uh, Chris Chihalis is his character. And Chihalis. Sh- and and Chihalis. Sh- yeah. Charlene yeah. Chihalis, yeah. Yeah, but he uh, is so tied to Val Kilmer's character, and uh, he wants to find out how he's doing after the shooting, and he stares at the John Voight character uh, with the idea that, uh, where is he? Why aren't you taking care of him? You know? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not fleshed out very much, but there is this idea of the older man and the young acolyte, you know, uh, which is basic uh, to the Hollywood Western, you know, the older gunfighter uh, with, with the younger one, like the tin star with Anthony Mann, you know. Uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, there, there is this this incredible and kind of bonding. There's and and it happens in a couple of layers in the criminal crew, which I think is really excellent. Which is the, you know, the most um, the most candid we see Neil really uh, before the coffee shop scene is the scenes with Nate John Voight's character. So you yeah, see, Nate, yeah. and and you see John Voight being really fraternal and caring, and 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 even in like almost immediately preceding this this uh, run of scenes he's like you are making a bad choice to continue mm-hmm. to do this big job while this guy's on your tail like three mar- you know he does that great line you know three marriages you think that means he likes to stay home you know and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a great bond there and what's so great and I'm just sort of picking it up in our conversation is neil has that pretty much identical relationship with chris except he's more controlling you know he's he's yeah. behind the scenes he's making sure charlene's not cheating on chris and yeah. things like that yeah. Um, but I think what Voigt tells him as that older, as that older, um, that older gunslinger is that when he goes, what did you do? Like, why didn't you control him? He's like, man's got to do what a man's got to do, brother. I'm not going to, I can't stop him. And it's almost, brother. yeah, it's it's almost quite fatalistic because he's just like, he's had to, he's had to also surrender Neil. Like, he's like, "I, I can stand here and give you advice. I can tell you what you should have done, and you're not going to listen to me. You're just going to make your own choices. But I'm I'm here to give you the advice, and you do with it what you will. So yeah, there's a I, I agree. There's this cool sort of bonding that's happening in those layers, and they're definitely different kinds of control. Yeah, it's funny because Neil's interest in uh, Sir Hairless and, and his and his wife uh, makes sense because he's. <laughs> Neil is controlling this crew yes. and he's trying to check up on, on everybody basically, although it doesn't really happen in terms of each person inside the crew. Uh, but that business of telling her what she should do next, you know, yeah. is that about his professionalism or is it concerned with his affection for that guy? You know, uh, because he's, uh, sure, hairless ends up, uh, in that in that empty room uh, with with Neil uh, and Neil says where's the furniture you know and it's as if they're like setting up some kind of odd couple sort of relationship you know yes uh, but uh, there is this this idea of uh, yeah the older gunfighter and the and the young acolyte uh, that's a very basic concept that starts to really fall apart in in the uh, uh, American cinema in the 1990s, like in, in Seven. Yes. Uh, with um, Morgan Freeman oh, and Brad Pitt. 
Brad Pitt, yeah, where the younger man won't learn. Yes. And the old man is on the way out. You know, I mean, eh, that's pretty interesting. But yeah, I, there's so much going on in Heat. Uh, uh, the landscape, uh, cityscape rather, you know, and, and the, the whole concept of the male group, which, I mean, that group, uh, the, the whole concept, you know, the, of the male group uh, is so foundational in the American cinema. But in, in his films, Michael Mann's films, it's coming apart. Yes. You know, it, it, it's, it's ending. And uh, I think it's everybody's ending. dead. I think it's en- yeah. I think it's ending in a variety of ways, though. So we see here, yeah. it's like you know, Neil's so desperate to control the makeup, but when you dig beneath the surface of this, you know, I think Vincent, when he first sees the whole crew, he's like, "Look at this little convention! Look at this convention!" And yeah. you get Chris, who's a gambling junkie, who's doing things on the side, doesn't realize his wife's cheating on him. And is sort of he's he's self-destructive in his own way. You've got Michael Torito played by Tom Sizemore, whose wife looks after him. You know she controls their finances. And so when mm-hmm. the heat's around the corner, Neil is emphatically trying to convince him: No, you shouldn't do this. You've been looked after. Get out while you can. Um, and it's his impulses to be a good acolyte, as you say, and to, um, you know, the action is the juice for him. Yeah, that he's, yeah. he's yeah. willing to sacrifice everything. Treo seems like, you know, he's new to the crew, hasn't got much to lose, doesn't care. He's going to do it. So they seem like they're this really cohesive, awesome foursome, plus Nate on the side helping them out, this quintet. But realistically, when you scratch the surface, it's all kind of being held together. Um, it's all being held together by their shared their shared jobs or their shared goals. But when that when that certainty goes away, they just fray immediately. And I think that, that it's much the same with much the same with Vincent and his team. Although they've got a more defined purpose because they're following the, you know the letter of the law. But you know they they have to put up with Vincent's peccadilloes, yeah. so to speak, but because of what they're going to do. So, yeah, I love that about both groups. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They have these weird dynamics, and they, under pressure, they don't always hold up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly domestic relationships don't have a chance. You know, <laughs> yes. you could say, well, it's because... I mean, you could say that there are cliches in the film, like the overworked cop yes. and the... And, and, and the uh, wife who is trying to survive this this whole mess you know the the uh, obsessions of her of her spouse and that's a little bit cliched now, but here uh, the extremity of the whole thing is so fascinating because obviously even though women are so important that group of men the, the uh, you know two groups of men really yes. uh, uh, think it, it's it's not important uh, and they're ready to sacrifice everything yes. to carry out their uh, duties, obligations, obsessions, you know, fixations within the male group. You know? yes. So, you know, Neil knows that if he stops to kill Wayne Grow, uh, it's probably the end. I mean, he has to know that. Yes. Uh, but he abandons, uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name? Uh, Poor Amy. Amy Brenneman, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and knowing that it's going to fail, except he's living up to to his 
what his code, the male code, or is it is it something more pathological? Because he ends up with his favorite couple, right? He ends up dying with the guy that he actually loves the most, with whom he's had the most intimate interaction in his whole story. You know, his entire life, really. Uh, if he had the chance, he might tell. Uh, Vincent, what it was like in the hole, in <laughs> yes. McNeil Island, you know, uh, but he didn't have the chance. Uh, but uh, that final moment is like the quintessential operatic, you know, instance in Michael Mann where uh, he dies and holds out his hand and is taken by the opposition. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, Wagner for Christ's sake. You know? I mean, it's, <laughs> It's like Tristan and Isolde, you know, here's the couple who sacrificed everything, but they're still together. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, amazing. And the whole choreography of that final sequence, too, is is uh, so wonderful with the, with the lighting and uh, uh, the whole sense of each guy uh, with impeccable instincts. Yes. Except... Hannah has a small edge and the help of the overhead lights too of the airplanes. <laughs> a shot but, uh, a shot that in twenty eighteen a shot that in twenty eighteen seems like an unbelievable yeah. thing to have ever yeah, existed. That's, that's, it does, you know. And that was all analog st uh, stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, on yeah. all on location. All on location at LAX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although Michael Mann has, you know, said that that it's impossible to actually do that now, yeah, of course, because after nine eleven and so forth, you couldn't you couldn't do that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Yeah. I think yeah. you you put it best yourself in Christopher's writing on Heat. He wrote Requiem may be, may indeed be the dominant form of man's work, most appropriate. Mm -hmm. For the civilization that he surveys. Yeah, well, really, I mean, I can't help but think of him along with Antonioni, really, because yes. there is this requiem in his films. You know, there's a fascination, as he says. You know, if I were driving down a highway and over here is this installation, this horrible emblem industry, and over here was a uh, uh, forest. I would look at the industry yes. over here. That's more fast. But it's clear if you look at uh, a picture uh, such as Red Desert, which a I think a of phenomenal, all the time, a phenomenal picture, a phenomenal picture. Yeah, Red Desert. I mean, I think of it in a way as a Michael Mann film, you know, <laughs> made in Italy, uh, where is there is this allure uh, with this uh, sense of complete repugnance too, you know. Um, and there also, uh, Eros is sick, as Antonioni said. That's yeah. also true of Heat yes. and Michael Mann. Eros fails. It fails in Thief. It fails in Heat. It fails everywhere. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, and it's very dolorous. You yeah. know, it's very. There is a sense of a kind of liturgy happening here. Yes, uh, it's a, uh, it's operatic and it's also kind of religious. You know, it's it's. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really grand stuff. The other the other man connection in his later work that I think is very Antonioni, um, and it's just a flurry. It's just a section of the film is uh, 
the relationship between Kyle and Farrell's Sonny uh, um, and uh, Gong Lee's Isabella in Miami Vice because mm. it's one of these things that just happens out of time. And I just always mm-hmm. think of Laclise, like, um, you know, like mm. the, or La Ventura, like just like little flurries of where a whole section of the movie you're not really sure of how long it is. And then it, it does right itself. It comes back and you realize that it's been 48 hours, but it could have been in, in movie time, in, in, in this protracted weird movie time, it could have been a year. They could have just escaped. Um, But it's, 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 it's only ever a window. It's just like, Oh, that was a nice little fleeting moment. See you later. We won't have that again. But I just love, I love that as well in man's man and Antonioni. And, uh, you know, we talked about Hamish Ford before, uh, and, and Antonioni tragic. Look, folks, uh, I'm I'm just so pleased um, that Professor Christopher Sharrock could join me on One Heat Minute. Um, sir, thank you so much for being a part of the show. It has been awesome to talk thank to you. you. It has been awesome to talk to you. Um, uh, guys, if you, uh, I'm going to, again, just go to the oneheatminute.com, go to the episode post. Um, I'll post up all the relevant links, especially on that spectacular article of heat. I remember many years ago when I was gathering together all of the works on heat when I was studying man um, uh, academically. Um, that was one of the first things I read, so thank you. Um, and it's so wonderful to stumble upon you in a Facebook uh, comment thread with Hamish, so thank you so much for doing this. Oh. Well, thank you, Blake great fun excellent yeah. Um, yeah guys thank you so much for listening to One Heat Minute once again Garth Franklin thank you for our web design Mr. Paul Davies thank you for our theme tune which really is being stolen um, uh, or, or is a pastiche of Elliot Goldenthal's wonderful theme song that we've been listening to in this very minute so thank you for that <laughs> um, guys and thank you for listening so subscribe rate review oneheatminute.com we're everywhere Spotify iTunes Wooshka all over the place so if you uh, want to find us all you need to do is search us and find us on that side but as always i've been your host blake howard and we'll catch you on another episode of one heat minute just around the corner When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.